0: This this is the Pat O'Keefe Show.
1: Right, it's the ESPN New York Superbox Bonanza 5. We're giving away over $10,000 in cash and prizes. All qualifiers will get a $25 Fanatics gift card and a chance at one of 10 Super Box prizes. Get your box for the big game by listening mornings to DPHO and Rothenberg and afternoons to Barton Hahn and the Michael K. Show. This year's big game payouts are $500 in the first and third quarters, $1,000 at halftime and a final score payout of $2,000. It's all brought to you. By Tullamore Dew Irish Whiskey and the brand new Tullamore Dew Honey and Security Dodge. Come get some. For full contest details, go to superboxbonanza.com. Paddle keep with you till 7. And Nick's pregame, Nixon Raptors from Madison Square Garden. A lot of Nick's conversation uh, so far this afternoon. The NFL divisional round is underway. Late first quarter in Baltimore, the Ravens lead the Texans 3 to nothing. Let's go back to the phones at 1-800-919-3776 and go to Rod in the Bronx. Hey Rod. Hey
0: Pat, how's it going? I just want to um make a comment and basically excuse me, use the same rhetoric that you use for Barrett and Quickly. Josh Allen has the most pressure on him in the playoffs. Josh Allen was picked ahead of Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson was the wild card. He had to be traded up to the first round to get him. He was the last quarterback taken in the first round. He wasn't predicted twice to be an NFL MVP. Josh Allen was. Lamar Jackson's about to win his second. You want to say that Josh Allen coach blew that playoff game for him? Lamar Jackson's coaches blew it for him in the playoffs with Greg Roman with that offense that they had. Plus, he never had weapons. Now that he has weapons, his playoff performance is going to dictate whether or not if he's going to be a superstar. But as far as pressure, he's ahead of Josh Allen. I mean, pressure, the pressure's on Josh Allen, not Lamar Odom, because he has to now validate one his contract as well, but also the predictions on where the Bills should have been because if he doesn't perform well, then the Bills, the bills are going to rebuild. Lamar Jackson's team is already reshuffled, and they're going to be dominant for years to come. So I wanted to just make that comment. Thanks for
1: having me. All right, Rob. I mean, look, a strong argument either way. I think clearly these are the two quarterbacks who are under the most pressure, both in the AFC. I mean, by the way, all the good quarterbacks are in the AFC. And isn't that funny? We did the exercise. This is a little bit of a tangent now, but I'll swing back to Rod's point. We did an exercise in the offseason. This is, you know, during all the Aaron Rodgers hype and the Jets finally having a top flight quarterback and, you know, the rankings of the top quarterbacks. In the NFL. And I think, what, 8 out of 10 of them, 9 out of 11 of them, were in the AFC. And that didn't even include C.J. Stroud. You know, think about it. Allen, top 10 quarterback, sure. Um, Lamar, yep. Uh, Joe Burrow, yep, that's 3. At, before the season, Trevor Lawrence was clearly thought of in that category. That's 4. Mahomes, 5. Uh, Justin Herbert, 6. And then, you know, you also had Tua. You had Aaron Rodgers. And now you can add C.J. Stroud to that mix. So um, both of these top quarterbacks are in the AFC. The reason why I say the more pressure is on Jackson than Allen, and, and I can understand it from both sides, but the reason why I say the more pressure is on Josh Allen, or excuse me, is on Lamar Jackson, is because he has not played well in the playoffs. He hasn't. And Josh Allen has. not always but he's had some really good moments. Mike Greenberg yesterday on Greeny spoke about this very topic. He's got to beat him. He's 0-2 against Mahomes in the playoffs. He's finally got him in his own building this weekend. He's got him at a time where his team is hot and the Chiefs look more vulnerable than they have at probably any point since their run began. This is it for Josh Allen, Hembo. So that's why when I say he has more at stake than anybody else, What I mean is he vaults himself into the immortal discussion if he wins this week. Well, I don't know if he goes with all due respect to Greeny in the immortal discussion by winning this week. I think he would have to win the Super Bowl to get himself in that discussion. Um, It's funny. Josh Allen has the better career stats than Lamar Jackson, but Lamar Jackson's about to be the two-time MVP. Early on last season, I made a regrettable comment on air. It was around week three or week four, and I had Josh Allen got off to just a fantastic start last season. And I had completely bought into the Josh Allen hype because Mahomes is the best quarterback and has had the best weapons, but early last season, he was playing his first few weeks without Tyreek Hill. So we weren't yet sure what that was going to look like in a post-Tyreek Hill world for Patrick Mahomes. As it turns out, it looked pretty good when he was standing on top of the podium holding the Lombardi Trophy over his head. But at the time, four weeks or so into last season, we weren't sure. And I made the comments that if I were choosing one of those two quarterbacks at that moment for the rest of their career, I would have chosen Josh Allen. And I was just enamored. For me, it was Josh Allen's size and his physicality. I had stuck in my head Mahomes' last time in the Super Bowl when they lost to Brady and the Buccaneers. But more specifically, they lost to the Buccaneers' defense, which was led by Todd Bowles. We had a caller, I think Sal, early in the show, who brought that point up, how it was Todd Bowles' defense for Tampa Bay that was largely responsible for them beating the Chiefs in that Super Bowl. And Mahomes was running for his life that game. And he was injured, and he was bruised, and he was battered. And for me, Allen plays a similar style of football, but he's just so... You know, brawny or burly or whatever word, and you know, just such more of a physical presence, an imposing physical presence than is Patrick Mahomes. That in my mind, I just felt that he was set up more to take that sort of punishment and play that style for the long run. What I didn't take into account was the carelessness with which Josh Allen plays. And that's why the Bills have not been able to kind of cross the threshold. You know, his his biggest blessing is in some ways a curse. He's got superior physical skills. He's got the big arm. He is able to run. He can withstand hits. He can, you know, take a shot and keep on going. He can break tackles. But because of those physical gifts, I think a lot of times Allen thinks of himself as being invincible on the field. And that he can get away with anything. And a lot of times that catches up with him. I think Lamar Jackson's under more pressure this weekend because he has not had the success in the playoffs. Not even that Josh Allen has had so far. And the argument about where they were drafted. And I had this conversation with someone a few weeks ago. And it was actually, interestingly, considering what's happening at the Garden tonight. The conversation centered around R.J. Barrett. At a certain point in time, when you get deep enough into someone's career, the spot of where they were drafted needs to be taken out of the argument. And I think we're at that point with Allen and with Lamar Jackson. What they both are are Pro Bowl quarterbacks. One's an MVP. One is a perennial MVP candidate. At this point, it does not matter that Allen was picked seventh in 2018, and Lamar Jackson was picked 32nd. Now they both are who they are. Jackson's a raider, a raider, a raven on a huge contract. Allen is a bill on a huge contract. So where they were picked does not factor into a discussion about their careers. And the same thing with Barrett. You know, and and ironically, this conversation that I had about R.J. Barrett occurred literally days before he was traded. We had no idea he was getting traded. That caught everybody by surprise. Came out of the blue December 30th. We're getting ready for New Year's Eve the next night. And the Knicks are playing the Pacers that night. And next thing you know, RJ and Quickly are on their way to Toronto. But people still like to hold over RJ as an argument against him where he was picked. And after three, four, five years in the league, that doesn't really factor into the argument anymore. You know, first couple of years, sure, because it's still fresh and, you know, you're still fitting into a spot in your new team based on where you were picked. But after a certain point, where you were selected in the draft does not carry as much importance. And I don't think it does here in this case when you're comparing Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson. They're both under a lot of pressure. But let me ask you this. If if they both lose, and by the way, uh, Houston just kicked a field goal, so... They're tied at three late in the first quarter. But if the Ravens lose this game to the Texans and the Bills lose tomorrow to the Chiefs, which would be the worst loss? I think it's unquestionable that the worst loss would be the Ravens. I mean, they're nine-and-a-half-point favorites. They're the number one seed. They were, by two full games, the best regular season team in the AFC this season. The Bills are going up against, I know they're home, and I know they're favored, and I know at some point, as Greeny just said, if Josh Allen wants to be thought of on an even higher plane and take his career and his legacy to that next level, at some point he does have to beat this quarterback and this team. But if that doesn't happen tomorrow night and Kansas City wins again and advances to the AFC Championship game again, All that means is Buffalo lost to one of the great quarterbacks of all time and the reigning Super Bowl champs. If Baltimore and Lamar Jackson lose this game, they will have lost to a team that had the second worst record in the NFL last season and is playing against a rookie head coach and a rookie quarterback. So if they were both to lose this weekend, I think it would be a far far worse loss for the Baltimore Ravens. And that's another reason why I personally think there is more pressure this weekend on Lamar Jackson than there is on Josh Allen. And they're in a tight game right now. They're going to the second quarter in Baltimore. The Ravens have the football and they're driving near midfield, but they're tied with the Houston Texans at three. I'll have some thoughts on the NFL's head coaching carousel. That hasn't exactly started spinning rapidly, let's say. But there's some movement on that front, especially earlier today. A, uh, a favorite here in New York getting a terrific opportunity, one that he clearly earned this past season. That and more of your calls at 1-800-919-3776 on 98.7 ESPN New York.
0: This, this is the Pat O'Keefe Show.
1: I think it's Lamar, I mean, just because this is a perfect opportunity. I mentioned the 49ers. I think it would be really disappointing if the this 49er team built for this year isn't in the Super Bowl. I think for Lamar, this team is built to win a Super Bowl or get to it and win it. Josh, the defense has been decimated by injuries. I had another one with Bernard last week, right? Uh, you know, Josh is still carrying this team. They don't have their running game every week. Definitely more pressure on Lamar Jackson. All right, ESPN Radio's Mel Kuiper Jr. Look, there's pressure on both of these quarterbacks, Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen. You have to choose one who's under more pressure. I agree with Mel Kuyper. I think there's more pressure on Lamar Jackson. Just looking at looking at the playoff history of both of these guys. First of all, they were, and you want to compare. So here here's something you can compare. Uh, we had a caller earlier compare where they were drafted as a factor in the conversation. Josh Allen was the 7th pick and Lamar Jackson was the 32nd pick. Well, That means Josh Allen went to a worse team because they were bad enough to pick seventh in that draft, the Buffalo Bills were. They came into the league the exact same year. The Ravens have been, you know, either a playoff team or a fringe playoff team basically for 15 years now, ever since John Harbaugh took over as their head coach, okay? Um, So Josh Allen has played nine playoff games as the quarterback of the Buffalo Bills, Lamar Jackson has played four. So right there, Josh Allen has done more with what should be considered a worse team when he got there. The numbers for Josh Allen in his career, nine playoff games. He's five and four, a winning playoff record. That's not easy, um, including last week against Pittsburgh. He has completed 64% of his passes, 20 touchdowns, and four interceptions in nine playoff games. Lamar Jackson has completed 55% of his passes, three touchdowns, and five interceptions. You want to say, okay, a big part of Lamar Jackson's game is the running game. Obviously true. Also true for Josh Allen, though, by the way. In four playoff games, Lamar has rushed for 367 yards. In nine playoff games, Allen has rushed for 491. So more yards per game. For Lamar, how about yards per carry? Lamar Jackson, 6.8 yards per carry in the playoffs. And Josh Allen, 6.9. So Allen has played better. All right, Josh Allen can go out as the Ravens just score a touchdown to take a 10-3 to lead. So Lamar Jackson embracing that pressure right now that I and others are putting on him. Josh Allen can go out tonight and lose to a champion team. But Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, but especially Lamar with his, let's be honest, spotty postseason history so far. He cannot this afternoon lose to the Houston Texans at home. He can't. And right now, they're in position where that won't happen. And Lamar's off to a real good start. He just threw a touchdown pass um, to Nelson Aguilar. A three-yard touchdown pass. And Lamar Jackson's numbers so far is off to a terrific start. He's 7 for 9 for 52 yards and that touchdown pass and he's already carried the ball 5 times for 49 yards. So Lamar Jackson right now is doing what he did during the regular season that put him in position to be the front runner for the NFL's most valuable player. As the Ravens lead the Texans 10 to 3 midway through the second quarter. The NFL coaching carousel um, has one fewer opening on it today. Antonio Pierce, the former Giants linebacker who took over the Raiders as their interim head coach midway through the season, led the Raiders to wins over the Giants and over the Jets, and a 5-4 and four record in the nine games that he coached has officially had the interim tag taken off of him. Antonio Pierce, boy, that was... That was a long shot when he took over. You know, that had all the makings of – because this is a guy who did not have any head coaching experience um, prior to – or above the high school level prior to taking over on an interim basis. But Pierce doesn't have experience as a defensive coordinator either. He was the linebacker's coach at the time. But, you know, he proved – and we've seen coaches kind of try to think outside the box – In recent years, the Jeff Saturday experiment last year in Indianapolis was, well, it was a disaster. Um, But Saturday came from literally the television studio to take over a football team. Antonio Pierce was already in that locker room. He was already coaching up a good amount of players on that roster. And what Antonio Pierce proved that in this sport that he's a leader. And Josh McDaniels is a lot of things. You know, he's a very shrewd offensive mind. As the offensive coordinator for the New England Patriots, I think through the years, they were at their best when he was in that role, running their offense with Tom Brady, and even beyond Tom Brady. He actually had Mac Jones playing well as a rookie and a pro bowler. But Josh McDaniels, if you know anything about him and followed his career, whether uh, not so much in New England, but in Denver when he was the head coach, or in Las Vegas when he got his second opportunity as a head coach or what he did to Indianapolis accepting the head coaching job and then leaving the Colts at the last second high and dry Josh McDaniels is the opposite of a leader he's he's anything but a leader and you it just proves that you could you could be the the shrewdest smartest offensive mind out there if you can't go into a locker room and look your players grown men in the eye and get them to play for you and harness their ability and their emotion for the good of the team, then you are not an effective coach. And Antonio Pierce, am I gonna put his just because of his um resume, I would imagine that his acumen in terms of X's and O's and, you know, he's not an offensive guy anyway, but he's also not a defensive coordinator. The next step for Antonio Pierce is to Fortify his staff with, you know, a guy like Wink Martindale would be phenomenal for that team. We know he's available, but he needs somebody in that defensive coordinator position. Obviously, the offensive coordinator position, too. That goes without saying. But he needs somebody in those roles with a lot of experience. But with Antonio Pierce's, um, with his mindset and his approach and his leadership qualities, this could work. It did work. It worked last year. And those guys in the locker room would have run through a wall for him. Now, you need more than that. You need to balance that with coaching experience in terms of schemes and personnel and designing an offense and a defense. But with Pierce on top of the org chart there now in Las Vegas, I think that could really work, and I'm happy for him. It's really good to see a guy who – You know, it reminds me of, and this is going back a long, long time. And, you know, Knicks fans will remember this, but it reminds me of when Jeff Van Gundy became the head coach of the Knicks on an interim basis. And and I'm not comparing the personalities or the styles of Antonio Pierce and Jeff Van Gundy, two different guys and two different sports. But it was a similar situation where it was a guy who was placed into that role, and you figured initially. Their job was just to, you know, keep the train on the track till the end of the season until we figure out what else to do. And then Van Gundy took over during the 1995-96 Knicks season. Don Nelson was the head coach. He lasted about 65 games. They were actually pretty good. They were they were 34 and 25 at the time, I believe, but it just didn't work. You know, Nelson put the offense in Anthony Mason's hands. Patrick Ewing wasn't happy. Um, You know, It was the first year after Pat Riley had been there for four years and enjoyed so much success. So even though the record was pretty good, it just didn't seem to work. And they moved on from Don Nelson. They promoted Jeff Van Gundy, and there wasn't a thought in anyone's mind that Van Gundy was going to be the head coach beyond that year. But then by the end of the year, he showed that he could command the locker room. The team started playing better. They started playing for him. And, you know, he took full advantage of the opportunity he was given to coach the Knicks and prove that he could do it longer than just those two months that he was asked to do it. And what came of that was an incredible basketball career. I mean, he stayed in New York for five or six more seasons, and then he got a stint as the head coach in Houston. And then up until this past year, he was one of the voices of the NBA on ESPN and ABC calling the finals along with Mike Breen and Mark Jackson for all those years. And and none of that happens if he doesn't take advantage of his original opportunity that he was given when the Knicks fired Don Nelson and the same thing with Antonio Pierce. And I don't know what's going to come of Antonio Pierce, but this is an unconventional way to become an NFL head coach. You know, usually you have to come up through the ranks, a position coach, a coordinator, then a coordinator on a successful team, you interview, and then hopefully you get your opportunity. And Pierce was in the right place at the right time. He got an opportunity perhaps quicker than he would have had he gone the conventional route. But when he got that opportunity, he took full advantage of it. And good for him. And congratulations to him. So Antonio Pierce is the head coach of the – Las Vegas Raiders no longer the interim. A couple thoughts on the coaching search. You know, I talk about leadership and Pierce clearly has it. He had it as a player. He had it as a head coach this year. That's a big big part of, you know, his his repertoire. What happened in Philadelphia? Well, first of all, what happened jointly in Dallas and Philadelphia this week where where both Mike McCarthy with the Cowboys and now Nick Sirianni with the Eagles are coming back. What happened with Nick Sirianni in Philadelphia with the Eagles was, especially with a team as talented as Philadelphia, and when a team has expectations and talent, the microscope shines a much brighter light on that situation than a team that doesn't have any expectations. And coming off of a Super Bowl year in which they almost won the Super Bowl – Everything that happened in Philadelphia this year was magnified especially when they got off to that 10 and 1 start. And what happened the last 6 7 weeks of the season culminating with their no-show performance on Monday night in the wild card game in Tampa Bay was one of the greatest failures of responsibilities I have ever seen from an NFL head coach or a head coach in any sport. It was a total and complete failure on the part of Nick Sirianni. In fact, with a team as talented as that, for it to go off the rails so dramatically after it had been so good for so long, I question why they would bring him back to clean out his office, let alone to coach your team again the next season. I mean, Sirianni, his first two years as a coach... In Philadelphia, Now, he took over for Doug Peterson. When Peterson left, the Eagles were in a bad place. You know, Peterson had that last Giants fans will remember his final game, that Sunday night game, where Jalen Hurts, they had stumbled upon something, and then Peterson, for unknown reasons, took Hurts out of the game, allowing Washington to beat Philadelphia that night, knocking the Giants out of the playoffs. And that was it for Peterson after a crummy season. I mean, he was... So polarizing that two years after winning the Super Bowl, he was run out of town. And their franchise was in such a bad place that Sirianni bringing them to the playoffs the first year. Now, there were a couple of factors there. That was the first year that the playoff field was expanded from six to seven teams. So it was easier to get into the playoffs. And the Eagles got into the playoffs, but they played a non-competitive wild card game against Tom Brady and the Buccaneers, and they bowed out. Year number two, they went to the Super Bowl. You know, they found something with Jalen Hurts. They found something with the defense. But what Sirianni's done in Philadelphia, and, you know, he walks around um, with the aura of somebody who has built this franchise in the same vein that Jimmy Johnson did with the Dallas Cowboys in the early 1990s. Sirianni has ridden the coattails of one of the great executives in the NFL in Howie Roseman in terms of roster construction. I mean, Roseman, with his analytics and his acumen, has done such a brilliant job stacking this Eagles roster with talent. It would be virtually impossible for someone to not be a head coach and lead this team to the playoffs year after year after year. But what we've seen from Sirianni the latter half of this season, we've seen him exposed As not a leader of men, not a leader in any way, shape or form, the way he allowed that whole situation to fall apart was just a complete miscarriage of his responsibilities. He is immature, as he has proven many times. He's emotionally immature and it all came to a head and it all came crashing to a disaster that we had to witness on Monday night. And for the Eagles and Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie, the owner, all of their success constructing this team, and they've been good for the most part for two decades. It's been a very sound and solid ownership group. Like I said, huge fan of the work that Roseman has done as their general manager and their personnel guy. But for them to look at what happened and you realize how small windows to succeed in the NFL are, For them to run it back with Nick Sirianni, with all of these other options out there, Bill Belichick, Jim Harbaugh, Pete Carroll. I mean, Pete Carroll's in his 70s, but goes to the playoffs or contends year after year after year, has been to two Super Bowls, and has won one of them. Now, you don't want to bring a guy in his 70s in to start a rebuilding project. The Eagles are the opposite of a rebuilding project. The fact that they didn't kick the tires on any of these coaching options, because if you look at it from the coach's perspective, which one of those guys would not want to coach the Eagles? They've got a top quarterback. They've got a top defense. They go to the playoffs every single year. They are set up to win now. The weakest link in the organization, it became extremely clear late in the season, was the head coach. You know, he comes in and he's focused on all the wrong things. You know, he, he this false bravado, fired or, or beat beat Dallas, you know, taking shots at the Cowboys, focused on that. Just, you know, go out. And yeah, when you're winning, that that sort of stuff endears you to the fan base in a city like Philadelphia. But when you're losing, nobody cares about your crap and your mind games and you're crying during the National Anthem because you work yourself into such a frenzy. What they care about is, as the head coach of a football team, in good times and in bad, but especially in bad, you have got to keep the train on the track. And he did the opposite of that this past season. Cowboys are a similar situation, but especially the Eagles. They're the more surprising one to me that they didn't move on because the Eagles, unlike the Cowboys, at least at the top of the organization, they're an organization that usually does the right thing. Dallas hasn't done the right thing in a very, very long time. They're their own deal. They've got their own agenda. They've got their own problems. The Eagles have been a very well-run organization. It is shocking to me that they could see a guy who was entrusted in that role as head coach, show such poor leadership and composure and maturity and essentially throw away a season that could have resulted in a championship and you're going to just run it back with him next year. Amazing. Also amazing, Steven Sims, a 67-yard punt return for a touchdown for the Houston Texans. So four minutes to go in the second, Houston and Baltimore are tied at 10. Interesting things going on there as we kick off Divisional Weekend. Uh, more thoughts on the NFL coaching situations. The Cowboys, Bill Belichick, where does he land, if anywhere? And we'll also circle the conversation back to the Knicks, their home tonight, to take on R.J. Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly, and the Toronto Raptors. It's Pat O'Keefe with you till 7 on 98.7 ESPN New York.
0: This, this is the Pat O'Keefe Show.
1: In a frigid New York City. You know, it's frustrating. You look at the divisional weekend. And I know the Giants were part of it last year. Until they weren't. Going down to Philadelphia in this spot on Saturday night. And, uh, well, it was a humbling experience for the Giants. After their great wild card win last, uh, the previous week against Minnesota. But you look at teams. Look, Houston right now is playing. And they're giving the Ravens the number one seed all they can handle. It's ten ten late in the uh second quarter. And, you know, you look at a team like Green Bay with Jordan Love as a first year starting quarterback, and they're in San Francisco later on tonight to take on the the 49ers and Brock Purdy and uh Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel and the rest of that crew. And and it's it's frustrating that Every single year, even Tampa Bay. You know, Tampa Bay, somebody has to win the NFC South. It's the worst division in football, unless you want to count the AFC South. They're the worst two divisions in football. But every year, someone has to win it. And if you win, you not only get into the playoffs, but you get to host a playoff game. But usually that team is one and done. Unless Tom Brady's their quarterback, and they can go on and win the Super Bowl. But, you know, last year, even with Brady, they won the division, they got a home game, and they were one and done. And that was it. And then Brady went off into retirement this year. Somebody had to win the division. It happened to be Tampa Bay. But then they go out and they clobber the Eagles. And it just, when you see teams lift themselves up in such a short amount of time, like the Houston Texans have done. Um, You know, the Packers just missed the playoffs last year, but a completely new direction with a new quarterback for them this season. The Buccaneers, same thing. Tom Brady had been there for the last few years, won a championship for them. He's moved on. Baker Mayfield moves in, and they're still alive. And the fact that, and I know the Giants got there last year, but they were there in the divisional round for a hot second before that game stopped being competitive. The fact that the Giants and the Jets can't sniff this level of playoff success is really frustrating for people in New York. The Dallas Cowboys, meanwhile, In much the same vein as the Eagles, the Cowboys are bringing back Mike McCarthy. I was at least encouraged from the Cowboys' perspective that they're not going to sign McCarthy to a contract extension. And I'm so happy to hear that because it has become commonplace in sports to not have a head coach coaching on the last year of his contract. And the question I have is why not? Let's just use Mike McCarthy as an example. Let's say, and and they did. They said to to Mike McCarthy, we're not signing you to an extension, so you're entering the 2024 season, the last year of your contract, and you're going to have to earn a future contract. And if McCarthy said, I can't coach in the last year of the contract, if I'm the Cowboys, then I say, then go find a better job. Who's hiring Mike McCarthy, especially in this climate? So I'm glad from that perspective that Dallas – is sticking to its guns and at least making Mike McCarthy earn it. Because up until now, especially in the playoffs, he has not. Now, that being said, I don't think that's the reason why they're doing it. I think Dallas, for all of the, you know, the pomp and circumstance and bells and whistles and the -the state-of-the-art stadium and Jerry Jones and, you know, the whole Dallas lifestyle, they're actually a pretty cheap organization. And they've become that for like two decades that's why they hired Wade Phillips, who had some success, and they moved on from him after three years. And then Jason Garrett, who was the definition of eight and eight or nine and seven for nine long seasons, they kept him as the head coach because there were two things you could do with Jason Garrett. Number one, you didn't have to pay him a lot of money. And number two, Jerry Jones could keep him under his thumb and Mike McCarthy now is going to enter his fifth season and is the exact same scenario as a Jason Garrett. You don't have to pay him a lot of money. This It's just cheaper this way. You know, this, Jerry Jones is setting himself up by not doing this today and not uh, offering him a contract extension. He's setting it up where he doesn't have to pay two head coaches. I mean, every NFL team pays two head coaches at the same time. The... Raiders are paying like four of them right now. You know, they're still paying John Gruden. They're paying Josh McDaniels for sure. They're paying Antonio Pierce. So it's funny because the Cowboys, you have to dig deep. You have to really want to see it. The Cowboys do not have the reputation as a frugal franchise. They have a reputation similar to the Yankees, where it's a win at all costs. I'll do whatever it takes to win. Type of franchise. But if you really look at that situation in Dallas, that is not the reality. Now, Adam Schefter this week on Get Up on ESPN spoke about the Cowboys coaching situation. Did Jerry Jones even explore other coaching options after Mike McCarthy so clearly did not have his team prepared for their wild card game against Green Bay? He did not kick the tires on those coaches, to the best of my knowledge. Now, is it possible that there's some clandestine call that I did not hear or know about? Yes, that's possible. But to the best of my abilities, Green, I don't believe that Jerry Jones reached out to these coaches and tested the waters and kicked the tires to see whether they would be interested in becoming the Dallas Cowboys head coach. It's it's unbelievable. I mean, by the middle of the second quarter in that game, I and many others had assumed that Mike McCarthy – was coaching his last game for the Cowboys. Now, it's difficult to move on from a guy in his first year or even his second year, although that's becoming less and less difficult, especially in the NFL these days. But this was his fourth season, and it's been the same story every year. Regular season success, and then a complete no-show failure disappointment in the playoffs. And this was the worst. You know, At least last year, they lost to a really good 49ers team. A 49ers team that I think last year would have gone to the Super Bowl if Brock Purdy didn't get injured in the NFC Championship game. At least that was a really good opponent, and it was also a one-possession game. This year, everything was set up for them. Even getting that gift from the officials on that Saturday night game against Detroit with the ineligible receiver who did not report himself eligible and negated the two-point conversion— That gift gave them that game. That game gave them the number two seed. They had a home game last week. All they had to do was beat the Green Bay Packers and their first year starting quarterback, who were the last team into the playoffs. And then they would have been set up with a home game this week and a chance to go to the NFC Championship game for the first time since 1996. So that's the Cowboys as far as the coaching front goes. There's also Bill Belichick. We'll have some thoughts on that and take a look at the latest with Bill Belichick as this coaching carousel continues to spin during the NFL offseason. It's Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN New York.